the throne of fire chapter 12 i master the fine art of name calling it's disturbing to wake up as a chicken my ba floated through dark water my glowing wings flapped as i tried to figure out which way was up i assumed my body was somewhere close by possibly already drowned in the back of the mercedes but I couldn't figure out how to return to it. Why on earth had best driven us through an underwater portal? I hope poor Carter had somehow survived. Perhaps Bess was able to pull him free, but dying from poison rather than drowning didn't seem like much of an improvement. A current caught me and whisked me into the duat. The water changed into cold fog. Wailing and growling filled the darkness. My acceleration slowed, and when the mist dissipated, I was back in Brooklyn House, floating just outside the infirmary door. On a bench against the wall, sitting together like we were old friends, like they were old friends, were Anubis and Walt Stone. They looked like they were waiting for bad news. Walt's hands were folded in his lap, his shoulders slumped. He'd changed clothes, a new sleeveless tee, a new pair of running shorts, but he looked like he hadn't slept since returning from London. Anubis talked to him in soothing tones as if trying to ease his grief. I'd never seen Anubis in traditional Egyptian clothes before, bare-chested with a gold and ruby collar around his neck. A simple black kilt wrapped around his waist. It wasn't a look I'd recommend for most guys, but Anubis pulled it off. I'd always imagined he would look rather skinny with his shirt off. Not that I imagined that a lot, mind you. But he was in excellent shape. They must have had quite a good gym in the underworld, bench-pressing tombstones and whatnot. <coughs> At any rate... After the shock of seeing them together, my first thought was that something terrible must have happened to Jazz. What is it? I asked, not sure if they could hear me. What happened? Walt didn't react, but Anubis looked up. As usual, my heart did a little happy dance, quite without my permission. His eyes were so mesmerizing, I completely forgot how to use my brain. I said, um... I know, Liz would have been proud. Sadie, Anubis said, you shouldn't be here. Carter is dying. That jarred me back to my senses. I know that, Jackal boy. I didn't ask to be... Wait, why am I here? Anubis pointed to the door of the infirmary. I suspect Jazz's spirit called to you. Is she dead? Am I dead? Neither, Anubis said. But you were both on death's doorstep, which means your souls can speak to each other quite easily. Just don't stay long. Walt still hadn't acknowledged me. He muttered, Couldn't tell her. Why couldn't I tell her? He opened his hands. Cradled in his palms was a golden shen amulet exactly like the one he'd given me. Anubis, what's wrong with him? I asked. Can he hear me? 
Anubis put his hand on Walt's shoulder. He can't see either of us, though I think he can sense my presence. He called to me for guidance. That's why I'm here. Guidance from you? Why? I suppose it sounded harsher than I intended, but of all the gods Walt might have called, Anubis seemed the least likely choice. Anubis looked at me, his eyes even more melancholy than usual. You should pass on now, Sadie, he said. You have very little time. I promise I'll do my best to ease Walt's pain. His pain? I asked. Hang on. But the infirmary door swung open, and the currents of the duat pulled me inside. The infirmary was the nicest medical facility I'd ever been in. But that wasn't saying much. I hated hospitals. My father used to joke that I was born screaming and didn't stop until they got me out of the maternity ward. I was mortally afraid of needles, pills, and above all, the smell of sick people. Dead people in cemeteries? Those didn't bother me. But sickness, well, I'm sorry, but does it have to smell so bloody sick? My first visit to Jazz in the infirmary had taken all my courage. The second time, even in Ba form, wasn't any easier. The room was about the size of my bedroom. The walls were rough-hewn limestone. Large windows let in the nighttime glow of of New York. Cedar cabinets were carefully labeled with medicines, first aid supplies, magical charms, and potions. In one corner stood a fountain with a life-size statue of the lion goddess, Sekhmet, patron of healers. I'd heard that the water pouring through Sekhmet's hands could cure a cold or flu instantly and provide most of one's daily vitamins and iron, but I'd never had the courage to take a drink. The gurgle of the fountain was peaceful enough. Instead of antiseptic, the air smelled of charmed vanilla-scented candles that floated around the room. But still, the place made me jumpy. I knew the candles monitored the patient's conditions. Their flames changed color to indicate problems. At the moment, they were all hovered around the only occupied bed. Jazz's. Their flames were dark orange. Jazz's hands were folded on her chest. Her blonde hair was combed across her pillow. She smiled faintly, as if she were having a pleasant dream. And sitting on the foot of Jazz's bed was... Jazz. Or, at least, a shimmering green image of my friend. It wasn't a ba. The form was fully human. I wondered if she died after all, and this was her ghost. Jazz... A wave of fresh guilt washed over me. Everything that had gone wrong in the past two days had started with Jazz's sacrifice, which was my fault. Are you dead? No, Sadie. This is my wren. Her transparent body flickered. When I looked more closely, I saw it was composed of images, like a 3D video of Jazz's life. Toddler Jazz sat in a high chair, painting her face with baby food. Twelve-year-old Jazz cartwheeled around a gymnasium floor, 
trying out for her first cheerleading squad. Present-day Jazz opened her school locker and found a glowing jet amulet, our magical calling card that had led her to Brooklyn. You're Ren, I said. Another part of your soul? The glowing green image nodded. Egyptians believed there were five different parts of the soul. The Ba is the personality. The Ren is your name, I remembered. But how could that be your name? My name is my identity, she said. The sum of my experiences. As long as my name is remembered, I still exist, even if I die. Do you understand? I didn't, even remotely. But I understood she might die, and that it was my fault. I'm so sorry. I try not to break into tears. If I hadn't grabbed that stupid scroll... Sadie, don't be sorry. I'm glad you've come. But everything happens for a reason, Sadie. Even bad things. That's not true, I said. It's bloody unfair. How could Jazz be so calm and nice, even when she was in a coma? I didn't want to hear that bad things happened as part of some grand plan. I hated it when people said that. I'd lost my mother. I'd lost my dad. My life had been turned upside down, and I'd almost died countless times. Now, as far as I knew, I was dead or dying. My brother was poisoned and drowning, and I couldn't help him. No reason is worth all this, I said. Life is random. It's harsh. It's... it's... Jazz was still smiling, looking a bit amused. Oh, I said. You wanted to make me mad, didn't you? That's the Sadie we all love. Grief really isn't productive. You do better when you're angry. Huh. I suppose she was right, but I didn't have to like it. So why did you bring me here? Two things, she said. First, you're not dead. When you wake up, you'll only have a few minutes to heal Carter. You'll have to act quickly. Using the wax statue. I said, yes, I figured that out, but I don't know how. I'm no good at healing. There is only one more ingredient that matters. You know what it is. But I don't. Jazz raised an eyebrow like I was being stubborn. You're so close to understanding, Sadie. Think about Isis. Think about how you channeled her power in St. Petersburg. The answer will come to you. But we must hurry. The second thing, you're going to need Walt's help. I know it's risky. I know best warned against it. But use the amulet to call Walt back to you. It's what he wants. Some risks are worth taking, even if it means losing a life. Losing whose life? His? The infirmary scene began to dissolve, turning into a blurry watercolor. Think about Isis, Jazz repeated, and Sadie. There is a purpose. You taught us that. We chose to believe in Mott. We create order out of chaos, beauty and meaning out of ugly randomness. 
That's what Egypt is all about. That's why its name, its Ren, has endured for millennia. Don't despair. Otherwise, chaos wins. I remembered saying something like that in one of our classes, but even then, I hadn't believed it. I'll let you in on a secret, I said. I'm a rubbish teacher. Daz's form, all her collected memories, slowly melted into mist. I'll let you in on a secret, she said, her voice fading. You were an excellent teacher. Now, visit Isis and see how it began. The infirmary evaporated. Suddenly, I was on a royal barge floating down the Nile. The sun blazed overhead. Lush green marsh grass and palm trees lined the riverbanks. Beyond that, the desert spread to the horizon. Barren red hills so dry and forbidding, they might as well have been on Mars. The boat was like the one me and Carter had described from his vision with Horace, though in better condition. Its crisp white sail was emblazoned with the image of the sun disk, glittering in red and gold. Orbs of multicolored light zipped around the deck, manning the oars and pulling the lines. How they did this without hands, I don't know, but it wasn't the first time I'd seen such a magical crew. The hull was inlaid with precious metals copper, silver, and gold designs, showing pictures of the boat's journey through the duat, and hieroglyphs invoking the power of the sun. In the middle of the boat, a blue and gold canopy shaded the sun god's throne, which was without a doubt the most impressive and uncomfortable looking chair I'd ever seen. At first, I thought it was molten gold. Then I realized it was fashioned out of living fire yellow flames that had somehow been sculpted into the shape of a throne, etched into its legs and armrests. White hot hieroglyphs glowed so brightly they seared my eyes. The throne's occupant wasn't quite so impressive. Ra was an old leathery man bent over in the shape of a question mark. His bald scalp created cratered with liver spots, and his face so saggy and wrinkled, it looked like a mask. Only his coal-lined eyes gave any indication he was alive, because they were full of pain and weariness. He wore a kilt and collar, which did not suit him nearly as well as it had Anubis. Until now, the most ancient person I'd ever seen was Iskander, the former chief lector, who'd been... 2,000 years old. But Iskander had never looked this bad, even when he was about to die. To make matters worse, Ra's left leg was wrapped in bandages and swollen to twice its proper size. He groaned and propped his leg on a pile of cushions. Two puncture wounds oozed through the bandages of his shin, very much like the fang marks on Carter's shoulder. As Ra needed his leg, green venom spread up the veins of his thigh. Just looking at it made my ba feathers shiver with revulsion. Ra looked to the heavens. His eyes turned molten yellow like his throne. Isis, he cried. 
Very well, I relent. A shadow rippled under the canopy. A woman appeared and knelt before the throne. I recognized her, of course. She had long, dark hair, cut Cleopatra style, and a white gossamer dress that had complemented her graceful figure. Her luminous rainbow wings shimmered like the northern lights. With her head bowed and her palms raised in supplication, she looked like the picture of humility, but I knew Isis too well. I could see the smile she was trying to hide. I could sense her elation. Lord Ra, she said, I live to serve you. Ha, Ra said. You live for power, Isis. Don't try to deceive me. I know you created the snake that bit me. That's why no one else can find a cure. You desire my throne for your husband, the upstart Osiris. Isis started to protest. My lord, enough. If I were a younger god... Ra made the mistake of moving his leg. He yelped in pain. The green venom spread further up his veins. Never mind, he sighed miserably. I am weary of this world. Enough scheming and plotting. Just cure the poison. Gladly, my king, but I will need... My secret name, Ra said. Yes, I know. Promise to heal me, and you will get all you desire and more. I heard the warning in Ra's voice, but either Isis didn't notice, or she didn't care. I swear to heal you, she said. Then approach, goddess. Isis leaned forward. I thought Ra would whisper his name in her ear, but instead... He grasped her hand and placed it against his withered brow. Her fingertips smoldered. She tried to pull away, but Ra held her wrist. The sun god's entire form glowed with fiery images of his long life. The first dawn, his sunboat shining on the newly risen land of Egypt, the creation of the other gods and mortal men, Ra's endless battles with Apophis, as he passed through the duat each night, keeping chaos at bay. It was too much to take in, centuries passing with each heartbeat. His secret name was the sum of his experiences, and even then, in those ancient times, Ra was unthinkably old. The fiery aura spread to Isis's hand, traveling up her arm until her whole body was wreathed in flames. She screamed once, Then the fires died. Isis collapsed, smoke curling from her dress. So, Ross said, you survived. I couldn't tell if he felt disappointment or grudging respect. Isis rose unsteadily to her feet. She looked shell-shocked as if she'd just strolled through a war zone, but she raised her hand. A fiery hieroglyph burned on her palm. Ra's secret name, distilled into a single, unbelievably powerful word. She placed her hand on Ra's poison leg and spoke a spell. The green venom retreated from his veins. The swelling subsided. The bandages fell away and the two fang marks closed. Ra reclined on his throne and sighed with relief. At last... 
No pain. My lord needs rest, Isis suggested. A long, long rest. The sun god opened his eyes. There was no fire in them now. They looked like the milky eyes of a mortal old man. Fast, he called. The cat goddess materialized at his side. She was dressed in Egyptian armor of leather and iron, and she seemed younger. Though perhaps that was because she hadn't yet endured centuries in a prison abyss fighting Apophis. I was tempted to shout to her and warn her about what was coming, but my voice wouldn't work. Bast gave Isis a sideways look. My lord, is this woman bothering you? Ra shook his head. Nothing will bother me much longer, my faithful cat. Come with me now. We have important matters to discuss before I depart. My lord, where are you going? Into forced retirement. Ra glared at Isis. That is what you want, goddess of magic. Isis bowed. Never, my lord. Bast drew her knives and stepped toward Isis, but Ra held out his arm. Enough, Bast, he said. I have another fight in mind for you. One last crucial fight. As for you, Isis, you may think you have won because you mastered my secret name. Do you realize what you've started? Osiris may become pharaoh, but his reign will be short and bitter. His royal seat will be a pale reflection of the throne of fire. This boat will no longer ride the duat. The balance between Mat and Chaos will slowly degrade. Egypt itself will fall. The names of her gods will fade to a distant memory. Then one day, the entire world will stand on the brink of destruction. You will cry out to Ra, and I will not be there. When that day comes, remember how your greed and ambition caused it to happen. My lord, Isis bowed respectfully, but I knew she wasn't thinking about some distant future. She was drunk with her victory. She thought Osiris would rule Egypt forever and that Ra was just an old fool. She did not know that in a short time, her victory would turn to tragedy. Osiris would be murdered by his brother Seth, and someday Ra's other predictions would come true as well. Let us go, Bast, Ra said. We are no longer wanted. The throne erupted into a column of flames, burning away the blue and gold canopy. A ball of fire ascended into the heavens until it was lost in the glare of the sun. When the smoke cleared, Isis stood alone and laughed with delight. I did it, she exclaimed. Osiris, you will be king. I mastered the secret name of Ra. I wanted to tell her she had mastered nothing, but, could, but I could only watch as Isis danced around the boat. She was so pleased with her own success, she paid no attention to the magical servant lights disappearing. The lines dropped, the sail went slack, oars trailed into the water, and the sunboat drifted down the river, unmanned. My vision faded, and I sank into darkness.
I woke in a soft bed. For a blissful moment, I thought I was back in my room at Brooklyn House. I could get up and have a lovely breakfast with my friends, Amos, Philip of Macedonia, and Khufu, then spend the day teaching our initiates how to turn each other into reptiles. That sounded brilliant. But of course, I wasn't home. I sat up and my head began spinning. I was in a king-sized bed with soft cotton sheets and a pile of feather pillows. The bedroom was quite posh, decorated in dazzling white, which did not help my dizziness. I felt as if I were back in the home of the sky goddess Newt. At any moment, the room might dissolve into clouds. My legs felt stiff, but I managed to get out of bed. I was wearing one of those hotel robes, so massive and plush, I looked like an albino muppet. I staggered to the doorway and found a lovely living room, also bright white. Sliding glass doors led to a veranda that overlooked the sea from quite a height, possibly 15 or 20 stories. The sky and the water were gorgeous blue. My eyes took a moment to adjust to the light. On a nearby table, Carter and my few possessions were carefully laid out. Our old rumpled clothes, our magic bags, and the two scrolls from the Book of Ra, along with Bess's bag from the Chocolate Museum. Carter was wrapped in a white robe like mine. He lay on the couch with his eyes closed. His whole body shivered. Bess sat next to him, dabbing Carter's forehead with a cool cloth. How, how is he? I managed. Bess glanced over. He looked like a miniature tourist in a loud Hawaiian shirt, khaki shorts, and flip-flops. The ugly American, small, extra small, about time, he said. I was beginning to think you'd never wake up. I took a step forward, but the room tilted back and forth. Careful. Bess rushed over and took my arm. You got a nasty bump on the head. Never mind that, I muttered. I have to help Carter. He's bad, Sadie. I don't know if... I can help. My wand... And the wax figurine. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll get him. With Bess's assistance, I wobbled to Carter's side. Bess fetched my things while I checked Carter's forehead. His fever was worse than before. The veins in his neck had turned green from the poison. Just like Roz had in my vision. I frowned at Bess. How long was I out? It's almost noon on Tuesday. He spread my magic supplies at Carter's feet. So, roughly 12 hours. 12 hours? Bess, that's the maximum time Seth said Carter could live before the poison killed him. Why didn't you wake me sooner? His face turned as red as his Hawaiian shirt. I tried. I pulled both of you out of the Mediterranean and got you to the hotel, didn't I? I used all the wake-up spells I know. You just kept muttering in your sleep about Walt, Anubis, secret names. Fine, I said. Just help me. The doorbell rang. 
Bess gestured for me to stay calm. He called out in another language, possibly Arabic, and a hotel waiter opened the door. He bowed low to Bess as if the dwarf were a sultan, then brought in a room service cart loaded with tropical fruit, fresh baked bread, and bottled sodas. Excellent, Bess told me. Be right back. You're wasting time, I snapped. Naturally, Bess ignored me. He retrieved his bag from the dining table and brought out the chocolate head of Vladimir Lenin. The waiter's eyes widened. Bess put the head in the middle of the cart and nodded, as if it made the perfect centerpiece. Bess gave the waiter a few more orders in Arabic, then handed him some gold coins. The waiter groveled and generally looked terrified. He exited backward, still bowing. Where are we exactly? I asked. And why are you a king here? Alexandria, Egypt, Beth said. Sorry about the rough arrival. It's a tricky place to teleport to. Cleopatra's old capital, you know. Where the Egyptian empire fell apart. So magic tends to get twisted around. The only working portals are in the old city, which is off the coast, under 30 feet of water. And this place? Obviously a luxury hotel, but how did you... Penthouse Suite, Four Seasons Alexandria. He sounded slightly embarrassed. People in Egypt still remember the old gods, even if they won't admit it. I was popular back in the day, so I can usually call in favors when I need them. Sorry I didn't have more time. I could have gotten us a private villa. How dare you, I said, making us settle for a five-star hotel. Now, why don't you make sure we're not interrupted while I heal Carter? I grabbed the wax figurine Jazz had given me and knelt next to my brother. The statue was deformed from getting knocked around in my bag. Then again, Carter looked worse for wear, too. Hopefully the magic connection would still work. Carter. I said, I'm going to heal you, but I need your help. I put my hand on his feverish forehead. Now I knew why Jazz had appeared to me as a wren, the part of the soul that represented her name. I knew why she'd shown me the vision of Isis and Ra. You're so close to understanding, Sadie, she'd said. I'd never thought about it before, but the wren was the same as one's secret name. It was more than just a special word. The secret name is your darkest thoughts, your most embarrassing moments, your biggest dreams, your worst fears, all wrapped together. It's the sum of your experiences, even those you'd never want to share. Your secret name makes you who you are. That's why a secret name has power. It's also why you couldn't simply hear someone repeat a secret name and know how to use it. You had to know that person and understand their life. The more you understood the person, the more power their name could yield. You could only learn a secret name from the person himself, or from the person closest to his heart. And heaven help me, for Carter, for me, Carter was that person. Carter, I thought, what is your secret name? Even in sickness, his mind resisted me. 
You don't just hand over your secret name. Every human had one, just as every god did. But most humans spent their whole lives not knowing of that. Not ever putting into words their most private identity. Understandable, really. Trying to sum up your entire experience in five words or less? Not exactly easy, is it? You can do this, I mumbled. You're my brother. I love you. All the embarrassing bits, all the annoying bits, which I imagine is most of you. A thousand Zias might run away from you if they knew the truth, but I won't. I'll still be here. Now tell me your name, you big idiot, so I can save your life. My hand tingled against his forehead. His life passed through my fingers. Ghostly memories of when we were children, living with our parents in Los Angeles. I saw my birthday party when I turned six and the cake exploded. I saw our mother reading bedtime stories to us from a college science textbook. Our dad playing jazz and dancing me around the room while Carter covered his ears and yelled, Dad! I saw moments I hadn't shared with my brother as well. Carter and Dad caught in a riot in Paris. Carter and Zia talking by candlelight in the first gnome. Carter by himself in the library of Brooklyn House, staring at his Eye of Ra amulet and struggling against the temptation to reclaim the power of a god. He'd never told me about that, but it made me feel relieved. I thought I was the only one who'd been so tempted. Slowly, Carter relaxed. His worst fears passed through me, his most embarrassing secrets. His strength was failing as the poison gripped his heart. With his last bit of willpower, he told me his name. Of course, I won't tell you what it is. You couldn't use it anyway, hearing it from a recording, but I won't take chances. I raised the wax figurine and spoke Carter's secret name. Immediately, the poison receded from his veins. The wax figurine turned green and melted in my hands. Carter's fever broke. He shuddered, took a deep breath, and opened his eyes. Right, I said sternly. Don't ever ride another bloody snake monster again. Sorry, he croaked. Did you just... Yeah. With my secret name? Yeah. And all my secrets? Yeah. He groaned and covered his face as if he wanted to fall back into a coma. But honestly, I had no intention of teasing him. There's a difference between keeping your brother in his place and being cruel. I wasn't cruel. Besides, after seeing into the darkest recesses of Carter's mind, I was a bit ashamed. Possibly even in awe. There really wasn't much there. Compared to my fears and embarrassing secrets, oh dear. He was tame. I hoped our situations were never reversed and he had to heal me. Bess came over with Lennon's head tucked in the crook of his arm. He'd obviously been having a nimble nibble as Lennon's forehead was missing. Victim of a frontal chocolobotomy. Good work, Sadie. He broke off Lennon's nose and offered it to Carter. Here, boy, you earn this. Carter frowned. Does chocolate have magic healing properties? Bess snorted. If it did, I'd be the healthiest dwarf in the world. Nah, it just tastes good. 
And you'll need your strength, I added. We have a lot to talk about. Despite our looming deadline, as of tomorrow, only two more days until the equinox and the end of the world, Bess insisted we rest until the following morning. He warned that if Carter exerted himself physically or magically any sooner after being poisoned, it might well kill him. Losing the time made me quite agitated. But after going to so much trouble to revive my brother, I rather wanted to keep him alive. And I'll admit, I wasn't in much better shape. I was so drained magically myself. I don't think I could have moved further than the veranda. Bess called the front desk and ordered a personal shopper to buy us some new clothes and supplies in town. I'm not sure what the Arabic word is for combat boots, but the shopping lady managed to find a new pair. When she delivered our things, she tried to give the boots to Carter, then looked horrified when Bess pointed at me. I also got a supply of hair dye, a comfortable pair of jeans, a cotton top in desert camouflage colors, and a headscarf that was probably all the rage with Egyptian women but which I decided not to wear as it would probably clash with the new purple highlights I wanted for my hair. Carter got jeans, boots, and a t-shirt that read Property of Alexandria University in English and Arabic. Clearly, even personal shoppers had pegged him as a complete geek. The shopper also managed to find some supplies for our magic bags, blocks of wax, twine, even some papyrus and ink, though I doubt Bess explained to her what they were for. After she left, Bess, Carter, and I ordered more food from room service. We sat on the deck and watched the afternoon go by. The breeze from the Mediterranean was cool and pleasant. Modern Alexandria stretched out to our left, an odd mix of gleaming high-rises, shabby crumbling buildings, and ancient ruins. The shoreline highway was dotted with palm trees and crowded with every sort of vehicle from BMWs to donkeys. From our penthouse suite, it all seemed a bit unreal. The raw energy of the city, the bustle and congestion below, while we sat on our veranda in the sky eating fresh fruit and the last melting bits of Lennon's head. I wondered if this was how the gods felt, watching the mortal world from their throne room in the duet. As we talked, I set the two scrolls from the Book of Ra on the patio table. They looked so plain and harmless, yet we'd almost died retrieving them. Still one more to find, then the real fun would begin, figuring out how to use them to awaken Ra. It seemed impossible we could do so much in 48 hours, yet here we sat, sidelined and exhausted, forced to rest until the morning. Carter and his bloody heroics, getting bitten by that Dr. Doolittle snake, and he calls me impulsive. Meanwhile, Amos and our rookie initiates were left alone at Brooklyn House, preparing to defend against Vlad Menshikov, a magician so ruthless he was on a secret name basis with the god of evil. 
I told Carter what had happened in St. Petersburg after he got poisoned. How I'd given up Seth's secret name in exchange for the location of the last scroll. I described my vision of Anubis and Walt, my chat with Jazz's spirit, and my trip back in time to Ra's sun barge. The only thing I held back? What Seth had said about Zia's village being named Makan al-Ramal al-Hamra. And yes, I know that was wrong, but I'd just seen inside Carter's head. I now understood how important Zia was to him. I knew how badly any information about her would rattle him. Carter sat in his lounge chair and listened intently. His color had returned to normal. His eyes were clear and alert. It was hard to believe he'd been on Death's door only hours before. I wanted to credit my healing powers, but I had a feeling his recovery had just as much to do with rest, several ginger ales, and room service cheeseburger with chips. Baharia. He looked at Bess. I know that name. Why do I know that name? Bess scratched his beard. He'd been glum and silent since I'd recounted our conversation with Seth. The name Baharia seemed especially to bother him. It's an oasis, he said, way out in the desert. The mummies buried there were a secret until 1996, and some fool donkey put his leg through a hole in the ground and broke open the top of a tomb. Right, Carter beamed at me, that gee, history is cool, light in his eyes, so I knew he must be feeling better. It's it's called the Valley of the Golden Mummies. I like gold, I said. Mummies, not so much. Oh, you just haven't met enough mummies, Bess said. I couldn't tell if he was joking, and I decided not to ask. So the last scroll is hidden there? Bess shrugged. It would make sense. The oasis is out of the way. It wasn't found until recently. There are also powerful curses in places to prevent portal travel. The mortal archaeologists have excavated some of the tombs, but there's still a huge network of tunnels and chambers. Nobody's open in thousands of years. Lots of mummies. I imagine horror film mummies with their arms out and their linen wraps coming undone, groaning as they chase screaming starlets and strangled archaeologists. When you say lots of mummies, I ventured, how many is lots? They've uncovered a few hundred, Bess said, out of maybe 10,000. 10,000? I looked at Carter, who didn't seem bothered by this at all. Sadie, he said, it's not like they're going to come to life and kill you. No, Bess agreed, probably not. Almost for sure not. Thanks, I muttered. I feel much better. Yes, I know what I said earlier about dead people in cemeteries not bothering me. But 10,000 mummies? That was pushing it. Anyway, Bess said, most of the mummies are from Roman times. They're not even properly Egyptian. Bunch of Latin wannabes trying to get into our afterlife because it's cooler. But some of the older tombs, well, 
We'll just have to see. With two parts of the book of Ra, you should be able to track down the third part once you get close enough. How, exactly? I asked. Best shrugged. When magic items get broken up, the pieces are like magnets. The closer they get, the more they attract each other. That didn't necessarily make me feel better. I imagine myself running through a tunnel with flaming scrolls stuck to both hands. Right, I said. So all we have to do is creep through a network of tombs past 10,000 golden mummies who probably almost for sure won't come to life and kill us. Yeah, Beth said. Well, they're not really solid gold. Most of them are just painted with gold. But yeah, that makes a huge difference. Then it's decided. Carter sounded positively thrilled. We can leave in the morning. How far is it? A little over 200 miles, Beth said. But the roads are iffy. And portals? Well, like I said, the oasis is cursed against them. And even if it wasn't, we're back in the first gnome. It would be wise for us to use as little magic as possible. If you're discovered in this jar's home territory... He didn't need to finish that sentence. I gazed at the skyline of Alexandria, curving along the shore of the glittering Mediterranean. I tried to picture it as it might have been in ancient times, before Cleopatra, Egypt's final pharaoh, chose the wrong side of the Roman Civil War and lost her life in her kingdom. This was the city where ancient Egypt had died. It didn't seem a very auspicious place to start a quest, Unfortunately, I had no choice. I'd have to travel 200 miles through the desert to some isolated oasis and find one needle of a scroll and a haystack of mummies. I didn't see how we could accomplish this in the time we had left. Worse, I hadn't yet told Carter my last bit of information about Zia's village. I could just keep my mouth shut. That would be the selfish thing. It might even be the right thing, as I needed his help and I couldn't afford to have him distracted. But I couldn't keep it from him. I'd invaded his mind and learned his secret name. The least I could do was to be honest with him. Carter, there's something else. Seth wanted you to know. Zia's village was named Makan al-Ramal al-Hamra. Carter turned a bit green again. You just forgot to mention this? Remember, Seth is a liar, I said. He wasn't being helpful. He volunteered the information because he wanted to cause chaos between us. I could already tell I was losing him. His mind was caught in a strong current that had been pulling him along since January. The idea that he could save Zia. Now that I'd been in his mind, I knew he wouldn't rest. He couldn't rest until he'd found her. It went far beyond liking the girl. He'd convinced himself she was part of his destiny. One of his darker secrets? Deep down, Carter still resented our father for failing to save our mom. Even though she had died for a noble cause, and even though it was her choice to sacrifice herself. Carter simply c- 
could not fail Zia in the same way, no matter what the stakes. He needed someone to believe in him, someone to save, and he was convinced Zia was that person. Sorry, a little sister just wouldn't do. It hurt me, especially since I didn't agree with him, but I knew better than to argue. It would only push him further away. Makan al-Hamal al-Hamra, he said. My Arabic isn't very good, but Hamra is red. Yeah, Bess agreed. Al-Ramal means the sands. Carter's eyes widened. The place of red sands. The voice of the Brooklyn Museum said Zia was asleep in the place of red sands. He looked at me pleadingly. Sadie, it's the ruins of her home village. That's where Iskander hit her. We have to find her. Just like that, the fate of the world goes out the window. We have to find Zia. I could have pointed out several things. He was going on the word of an evil spirit that was probably speaking directly from Apophis. If Apophis knew where Zia was kept, why would he tell us, except to delay and distract us? And if he wanted Zia dead, why hadn't he killed her already? Also, Seth had given us the name Makan al-Ramal al-Hamra. Seth was never up to any good. He was clearly hoping to divide us. Finally, even if we had the name of the village, that didn't mean we could find it. The place had been wiped out almost a decade ago. But looking at Carter, I realized there was no reasoning with him. This wasn't a reasonable choice. He saw a chance to save Zia, and he was going to take it. I simply said, It's a bad idea. And yes, it felt quite strange being forced to play the responsible sibling. Carter turned to Bess. Could you find this village? The dwarf god tugged at his Hawaiian shirt. Maybe, but it would take time. You got a little more than two days left. The equinox starts the day after tomorrow at sunset. Getting to the oasis of Bahari is a full day of travel. Finding this ruined village, easily another day. And if it's on the Nile, it's in the opposite direction. Once you got the Book of Ra, you'll need to allow another day to at least figure out how to use it. I guarantee Awakening Ra will mean a trip into the Duat, where time is always unpredictable. You'll have to be back with Ra at dawn on the equinox. We don't have enough time, I summed up. It's either the Book of Ra or Zia. Why did I press Carter when I knew what he was going to say? I can't leave her. He looked at the sun, now dipping toward forward into the horizon. She's got a part to play, Sadie. I don't know what it is, but she's important. We can't lose her. I waited. It was obvious what was about to happen, but Carter wasn't going to say it. I took a deep breath. We'll have to separate. You and Bess go after Zia. I'll track down the scroll. Bess coughed. Speaking of bad ideas. Carter couldn't look me in the eyes. I knew he cared about me. He didn't want to get rid of me, but I could sense his relief. He wanted to be released from his responsibilities so he could go hunt down Zia. You saved my life, he said. 
I can't let you go into the desert alone. I unclasped my shed necklace. I won't go alone. Walt offered to help. He can't, Bess said. But you won't tell me why, I said. I... Bess faltered. Look, I promised Bass I'd watch you. Keep you safe. And I expect you to watch Carter very well. He'll need you to find this village. As for me, Walt and I can manage. But... Whatever Walt's bloody secret is, whatever you're trying to protect me from, or him from, it's making him miserable. He wants to help, and I'm going to let him. The dwarf glared at me, possibly wondering if he could yell boo and win the argument. I suppose he realized I was too stubborn. He sighed in resignation. Two young people traveling alone through Egypt, a boy and a girl. It'll look strange. I'll just say Walt's my brother. Carter winced. I hadn't meant to be harsh, but I suppose the comment was a bit hurtful. Looking back, I'm sorry for that, but at the time, I was terrified and angry. Carter was putting me into an impossible position. Go, I said firmly. Save Zia. Carter tried to read my expression, but I avoided looking at him. This was not the time for us to have one of our silent conversations. He didn't really want to know what I was thinking. How will we find each other? He asked. Let's meet back here, I suggested. We'll leave at dawn, allow ourselves 24 hours, no longer, for me to find the scroll, you to find Zia's village, and both of us to get back to Alexandria. Bess grunted. Not enough time. Even if everything goes perfectly, that'll leave you about 12 hours to put together the Book of Ra and use it before the eve of the equinox. He was right. It was impossible. Yeah, Carter nodded. It's our only chance. We have to try. He looked at me, hopefully. But I think I knew, even then, that we wouldn't meet in Alexandria. We were the Canes, which meant everything would go wrong. Fine, I muttered. Now, if you'll excuse me, I should go pack. I walked inside before I could start crying.